Well, this Advent season we've been looking at a number of passages from the book of Isaiah that point forward to the coming of Christ. And we saved this morning the most well-known passage of all, arguably, in terms of pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, Certainly, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, along with its sister, Isaiah 7, 14, which uh, is part of the same context, which says, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Certainly, this passage and that passage are the two most talked about, most known Old Testament prophecies at Christmas time. Because they alone of the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament speak explicitly about his birth and about his coming as a child. So not only is Jesus in the Old Testament, but Christmas is in the Old Testament, at least twice. Now, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is our passage, but the first five verses of this chapter, right before our passage, speak of a glorious day which is to come, a time when there will be no more gloom for those who are in anguish, when those who walk in darkness will see a great light, a day when God would make the region of Galilee glorious. Of course, that's the region where Jesus grew up. A day of great joy when God will break the yoke of their burden and the rod of their oppressor. So these verses before it tell us of a time coming when the gloom of human existence would be over. And then the question is, how is this going to happen? And that question is answered in our passage Verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9. And our passage reads this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, this is a very familiar passage, and so I'm not going to try to go through and explain every aspect of it. I'm just going to point out a few highlights. A bunch of quick highlights and one bigger highlight. First of all, let's look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Two things here. First of all, he's not only born, he's also given. And this is strange. This Messiah is both given by God... And born of man. 
And here our sister passage in Isaiah 7.14 is helpful. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he is God, but he's with us. With us both locationally, but also in our humanity. So he is born, but he's also given. But the second thing I'd like to point out in this is that it's to us. And this is repeated twice. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The gospel message is not just that Jesus came into the world, but that Jesus came to us. It's very personal. He knows who we are. He knows what we're like. He doesn't just come to this broad category of mankind. But he knows us and yet he still comes. The one who knows us best loves us most. And then the next phrase, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For this one he's so great that one name is not enough. In fact, I have a poster at home, and you probably have similar things, which is filled with names of Jesus because he's too great just to have one name. He has many names, and here we're given four names for, used in the Bible for the first time to refer to Jesus, to refer to this coming Messiah, this coming Savior. You know, we, we have this expression, a renaissance man. And by renaissance man, we mean someone who, you know, he doesn't just specialize in one thing. But he knows a lot about a lot of things. And he can do a lot of things. Well, think about Jesus. He is a renaissance man times a million. And on top of all that, he is with us. And he came to us. Now let's look at these. I'm just going to look at three of these four headings briefly. Beginning with wonderful counselor. You know, as human beings, we have a propensity to not listen. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And there are many Proverbs that are like that. They talk about how God speaks to us, but there's something in us, the foolishness in us, we don't want to listen. But the wise will listen to what God has to say. Well, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And so it is something that calls forth our listening. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the fact that we have a Jesus who is a wonderful counselor, we see him in the Gospels teaching and Beautiful and wonderful words coming out of his mouth. He indeed was the wonderful counselor in the flesh. And he is still speaking. But still, sadly, many don't listen. Just like many didn't listen then. And each of us has to ask ourselves, you know, we have a wonderful counselor. Will we listen to the one who God has given to us 
as a wonderful counselor. The second I'd like to focus on is everlasting father. Now, you know, this one can be confusing to people because they're thinking of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here it's referring to the Son, and it calls him everlasting Father. But this isn't so much referring to the deity of Jesus, the fact that he was God. And I don't think we should allow our understanding of the Trinity to trip us up here. It is showing the manner in which he reigns as king. He reigns as king in a fatherly manner. He's one who is relational. He's one who gives life. He's one who provides. He's one who protects his children, who watches over them. He's one who has a history with us and who knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is the everlasting father. As as king, he is an everlasting father. So he's this forever for us. It's not just referring to something he is in the moment, but he will be with us. He will be our father forever. And then Prince of Peace, the fourth of the of the them, the statements, the names that are given to Jesus. This tells us what kind of ruler he will be and what he will do. He will be one who brings shalom. He will come into the dog eat dog and king eat king world, into a world of turmoil and warfare, as the Prince of Peace. Of course, we know that if you've, if you've heard 50 sermons in your life, you probably have heard that the concept of peace is much bigger than what our word peace talks about. That it, it means personal fulfillment. It means well-being. It means harmony. It means at peace with all around you, including with God. It means whole or complete And so he is the prince of all this, not just the prince of peace in terms of political or in terms of, um, you know, relational. It's all of it, even internally. Now, one question that might arise here is why all of a sudden is he the prince when he's being referred to the rest of the passage as king and now he's only prince? Why isn't he the king of peace? Well, I think there's a, there's a good explanation for that. It's because here he is being seen as the intermediary between God and man. He can identify both with God and with the people. And therefore he can be administering peace between these two parties that have been alienated from one another. And so Prince is the word that's chosen here instead of king. Now, in light of these descriptions, do we realize what a well-qualified king that we have? And if you're not a believer, do you realize what a well-qualified king invites you to be a part of his kingdom? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. He, these are his unparalleled qualifications to rule over our lives. Wonderful counsel refers to his wisdom. Mighty God to his power. Everlasting Father to his relationship with us. His history with us. His affection for us. Prince of Peace. His agenda for our lives. How can we turn him away? How can we think that we can run our lives better than he can? Is he not vastly wiser? Vastly more powerful, vastly better at guiding and making us prosper than we are? It makes all the sense in the world to look to him as our king and to trust him. Do we realize how much happiness there is in store for the one who puts their trust in him? And this isn't just something that's referring to the future. You know, that we're waiting for. But he is our king now and we are part of his kingdom now. And he is these things for us now. And now the last, the point that I'd like to spend the rest of our time on is from the second verse. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's that last sentence that I'd like to put the spotlight on this morning. How does all this come to pass? How does he become who who he is and how does he... Save his people, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you know that God has zeal about certain things? Not about everything, according to the way the scriptures describe it. Have you ever watched a football game? If you have, I mean like a big time football game, a college game or a pro game. If you have, you have seen guys, big, strong, muscular guys, do something like this. I've never done that before in my life. It's a little scary when you see a big guy do that. But actually, women can do things like this too, can't they? Even the gentlest, quietest, shyest woman gets like this when she's in labor and she is zealous to push that baby out. And if you've been there, you know. I'm not going to imitate that. (laughs) But that's scary too. Well, the Bible says sometimes God is like that. Sometimes he is really zealous about something. Listen to this verse. And this verse, these verses I'm going to read you now, come from the book of Isaiah. In chapter 42, they're from another context where they're talking about the salvation that 
that God is going to send in Christ. Listen to these words. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. And then it quotes God. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. That's Isaiah 42 verses 13 and 14. So these two images that I put before us are put together and used here to describe the Lord when he is really in a fit of zeal, shall we say. Now some things God does which aren't as important to him as other things. Like when he wills that a sparrow fall to the ground. As Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 10. Some things God allows things which he doesn't enjoy in and of themselves, but which are necessary for accomplishing his purposes. The example for that is the suffering of his children. And Lamentations 3.33 talks about that. But some things are extremely important to God. Things God ordains because he is zealous for them to happen. And that's what this expression is all about. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Whenever you see that expression, it only occurs a few times in the Bible. You know that God is doing something that's very dear to his heart. The ones, the times when this expression is used in the Bible or something similar to it is used in the Bible usually refer to times when God acts to protect or rescue his precious people. Isaiah 37, 32 referring to how, you know, uh, the enemy is is a wiping out God's people, you know, the Assyrian Empire. And, and, uh, but God's not going to let them wipe them all out. And of course, because he's got to preserve the line of Jesus, because he's got to preserve the salvation that Jesus is going to bring. And so he says, For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again in Isaiah 59, 16 and 17. God is is hoping that someone's going to rise up and deliver God's people. But no one does. And this is God's response. The Lord saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, 
and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So you see, these are special times when God is referred to as having zeal. It reminds us, of course, of when Jesus cleansed the temple and they remembered the prophecy, zeal for your house will consume me. That's in John 2, 17. Interesting, this word that's translated zeal. Every time, I believe, every time in the Bible it's translated zeal, it's the same word in the Old Testament. It's also translated jealous or jealousy. These two words are very closely related and this helps us to understand its meaning a little bit. Now I'm going to read a song now that you never thought you'd hear in church. Um, It's an old song, so some of you young ones may not know it. It's a song about jealousy. It's called Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. Well, the south side of Chicago is the baddest part of town. And if you go down there, you better just beware of a man named Leroy Brown. Now, Leroy was more than trouble. You see, he stand about six foot four. All the downtown ladies called him treetop lover. And the men just called him sir. And it's bad, bad Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole dang town. Badder than old King Kong and meaner than a junkyard dog. Now Leroy, he was a gambler. And he liked his fancy clothes. And he liked to wave his diamond rings in front of everybody's nose. He got a custom Continental. He got an Eldorado too. He got a 32 gun in his pocket for fun. He got a razor in his shoe. Now Friday about a week ago, Leroy shooting dice. And at the edge of the bar sat a girl named Doris. And ooh, that girl looked nice. When he cast his eyes upon her, and the trouble soon began. And Leroy Brown learned a lesson about messing with the wife of a jealous man. Well, the two men took to fighting. And when they pulled them off the floor, Leroy looked like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone. That's by Jim Croce. And it, it, you know, it leads you to think, wow, this guy, you can't mess with him. He's going he's gonna to beat everybody up. Until the, wife, the husband of a, you know, until a jealous husband is, is his opponent. And, you know, when that kind of zeal comes over a person, he can do things that ordinarily are impossible. A few years ago, there was an article published in Psychology Today by Jeff Wise about this. It was entitled, Stealth Superpowers, The Science Behind Seemingly Impossible Feats of Strength. And it gave a number of examples. A, a man, for instance, who lifted up a car that had run over a, a biker. And single-handedly, he lifted it up and allowed the, men back, allowed the man out. And in doing so, he cracked eight of his teeth. 
just in being so determined to get this car off of this person. Well, if a man as big and bad as Leroy Brown can be overpowered by a jealous husband, think what can happen with the jealous zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Almighty One. That's what it took for God to secure the salvation of His beloved ones. That's what it took for God to bring us life. It wasn't easy. The obstacles were enormous. It looked impossible even to the angels who the Bible leads us to think were perplexed at how God could pull this off. But the zeal of the Lord took over. He was not going to let his precious bride be lost. And the zeal of the Lord accomplished it. The glorious salvation of God comes to us through a person. The Messiah, the Christ, the one they call Jesus of Nazareth. He is the answer to the world's pain, oppression, bondage, cruelty, twistedness, misery, and hopeless despair. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to this table every week. And it's easy for us to take it lightly. To forget the cost that was paid in order to serve us this meal. To forget the enormous sacrifice. which you offered of yourself upon the cross. We stand amazed with the angels of heaven, O Lord. And we thank you. What wondrous love is this, O my soul. Help us now as we partake of this precious gift to partake not only of the bread and the wine with our bodies, but 
of the living Christ in our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen.